0: You can turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And let's listen as Sage reads God's word to us this morning.
1: And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him.
0: Well, Heavenly Father, we just invite your spirit to open your word and open our eyes this morning to see wonderful things from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever noticed like how many questions people ask all the time. I mean, we just are always asking questions of our world, but particularly little children. You, I don't know if you are, have small children, you may remember some of the funny things that they said to you as they grew up. Um, my, one of my sons, I have five sons, and my wife at the time was teaching uh, him about slavery and Abraham Lincoln, and he asked Valerie, he said, weren't you alive back then, Mom? need a little work on his timeline. But um, my grandson, uh, who's four years old, asked my son, he said, can you ask God why we have to go to school so much? Is it because the government wants me to do it? Where does he get these things? But he's not just concerned about social issues. He's concerned about anthropological ones as well. He, like the time he asked my son, why do some people have plain heads that don't have any hair on them? He's just a growing boy. He's trying to make sense of his world, and he's asking and answering questions, and that's really important and helpful. We all ask questions of our world, of ourselves, and of God. Mark is moving here in our journey through the Gospel of Mark to the most dramatic moment in the Gospel up to this point, this morning, Jesus is going to ask the disciples one of the most important questions that they will ever be asked. It's a question that ultimately every person will have to answer. It's actually the question that's in the background of the entire Gospel of Mark. From the very beginning of the book, at the start of Jesus' public ministry, people are, are asking the question, who is this man? Where did he get this teaching? Why does he say things like, your sins are forgiven, isn't this the carpenter's son? And, and when the disciples say, who is this man? Or even the winds and the waves obey him. Mark wants us to be asking this question as we read through his gospel. And as we come to, if you have your Bibles open, uh, you can see the, the verse that Justin preached last week, verse 18, when Jesus says to the disciples, having eyes, do you not see? And verse 21, do you not yet understand? After hearing Jesus teach and observing all that he did, Jesus expects his disciples to have some idea of who he is and why he's here. And so this morning, there's one question that rises above all the others. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? What do you think of him? How do you relate to him? Let's explore what our text says this morning. We have two simple points. Jesus continues to reveal who he is. And do you see Jesus for who he is? So we begin with Jesus continues to reveal who he is in verses 22 through 26. You see, here Jesus comes to the town of Bethsaida again on the northeastern shore of Galilee. Jesus had done lots of miracles here. He had had fed the 4,000. It's the hometown of Peter, Philip, and Andrew. It's familiar ground. They saw the healing of the deaf man, the casting out of demons, the raising of Jairus' daughter, the healing of the lame man, And yet still, these disciples did not see. They did not understand. And if being a first-hand witness to all these things in these incredible events is not enough to make them see who Jesus is, then what hope is there for us in this world? What possibly can cure that kind of blindness? And as if to answer that question, Jesus, here in this story, gives a blind man his sight. Look at verse 22. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. But they look like trees walking. So he takes him by the hand and leads him away from the the crowds. It, It just... It's helpful to just think about the tenderness and the gentleness of Jesus, taking him away from the crowds as he does this. Similar to the treatment of the deaf man in the previous chapter. And he asks him, he spits in his eyes, he lays his hands on him, and he just had asked the disciples, do you not see? And now he asks the man, do you see anything? His response is he sees men, but they look like trees walking. He sees partially but more than he's ever seen before. But he still doesn't see clearly. Then Jesus, in verse 25, laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Jesus touches him. This time he sees everything clearly. You know, this is the only miracle in the Gospel of Mark that happens gradually. All the other ones are instantaneous. And um, it's, it's, it's a reminder that even when we think we see, we often only see part of the picture. Particularly when it comes to knowing Jesus or coming to believe in Jesus. It's often a process. So here we come to the turning point in the gospel. Will the disciples finally be able to see who Jesus is? Would they understand who he is and why he is here This story brings us to what one commentator calls the continental divide of Mark's narrative. And he writes this. It's on your screen. Jesus, by the gradual healing of the blind man, the disciples who have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear are going to see and hear. But for them, it will also be a process. Jesus is the one who opens blind eyes, heals deaf ears, heals the lame and those who cannot speak. Do you remember when, (laughs) you have to jump over to Mark 11, to another gospel. John the Baptist was in prison and he sent his disciples to Jesus and said, are you the one or should we wait for another? And Jesus said to them, tell John this, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the poor have good news preached to them. And what he's doing is he's quoting a prophecy from Isaiah 35 and that they knew was messianic. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And this prophecy, it's, it's, it's in the, the final, it's one of the final arias of the, the Messiah, the first act. I could sing it for you right now. Well, my, my, my friends, my, see, I, I do sing in the office, but my friends don't appreciate my gifts. <laughs> so I won't sing it this morning. but this is this is what it says then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy think about what the disciples have seen up till now they've seen blind men healed deaf healed lame made to walk even Jairus' daughter raised from the dead forgiveness of sin has been pronounced even the winds and the waves obey him It's now time for them to consider and answer this most essential question. And this leads us to our second point. Do you see who Jesus is? We begin with, he's more than a prophet. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? So after healing the blind man, they begin this journey to Caesarea Philippi, which is actually 25 to 30 miles north of Bethsaida. So it's... It's about a 10-hour it's, it's walk. And they're walking, and, he, and notice how he begins to relate to them. He asks them an indirect question. You see, it's almost a gentleness to him. Who do the people say that I am? And, and this is what they report, similar to what we heard from when John the Baptist was killed by Herod. It says, they told him John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Like Herod, some thought maybe he was John the Baptist, but they just obviously didn't know that John had been killed by Herod. Others said Elijah. Elijah had been taken bodily to heaven where it was believed he was going to tend God's people on earth until he was going to return as the forerunner to that great and terrible day of the Lord. And that prophecy occurs in Malachi, and Mark quotes it in chapter 1 of this book to tell the people that John the Baptist is that forerunner. But he's not Elijah. Elijah. Others say one of the prophets. Maybe he's just a prophet. You know, um, these people are trying to make sense of who Jesus is. Everyone thought he's a remarkable... These are, these are, these are uh, nice things that they're saying about him. He's really a great teacher. We hear things like this today. I, 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 have, I, I have interacted with several Muslim people in the last year and gone through the Gospel of Mark with them, and every one of them would say he is one of the greatest prophets He's amazing. They'll say they'll put Jesus up on a very high pedestal. But Jesus isn't just a great religious figure. This falls far short. It's completely inadequate to describe Jesus in this way is missing the mark. He's not just a compassionate messenger of God he is. He's not just an amazing figure. He is. He's not just a prophet. He is a prophet. But they miss an essential truth. For they lack the absolutely necessary understanding for receiving Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. So Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this. Who do you say I am? And he wants them to give a personal answer. This is a step in their discipleship. He's going to go right at them and say, Who do you say that I am? And what Peter says is a dramatic turning point in the book. It's, it's it's hard to understand unless you understand this is the first time since chapter 1 verse 1 that Jesus is called the Christ in the Gospel of Mark. You know, I, it, it, it's, 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 it's that su- surprising when we hear he's the Christ we're supposed to stop. It's like, you know when you When you see a movie and somebody says something and it changes everything in the movie, you know that I'm talking about? Some of you younger saints uh, probably don't remember the effect of a movie that we saw back in late 1979 when a protagonist and antagonist were fighting at the end of the movie, they're fighting, 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 and the bad guy is winning and he chops the hand off of the good guy. (laughs) And he says, you need to join our side now and the, guy, the good guy says, I'll never join you. You killed my father. And then the bad guy says, no, Luke, I am your father. <laughs> now, now, some of you young people are like, what's the big deal? Well, we did not know at that time that Anakin Skywalker was Darth Vader. And it just totally flipped our mind. Okay, I'm not comparing God the Father to Darth Vader, okay? <laughs> I need to reel this one back in. (laughs) But this is a dramatic moment. It's supposed to change our perspective. What about you, Jesus? What about you, Peter? He's speaking to the disciples, but he says, you are the Christ. Game changer. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one. Christ means anointed one. It's the same as the Hebrew word for Messiah. And... It means that you're the one sent by God. There's an idea in the Old Testament that a Davidic king was going to come. There's a lot of different ideas about what the Messiah would be like, but they believed he would restore the Davidic kinship. We see hints at who Jesus is up to this point, but this is the first time someone calls him the Christ, the Messiah. It's, the, it's an attempt by the disciples to define what they are watching in Jesus' life, the divine authority that he seems to possess and exercise as he goes about healing and teaching and teaching people in a way that no other rabbi has ever taught and doing things that no one else has ever done. And as dramatic a moment as this is, Peter's vision, as we all know, because we, we know it's gonna come after this section of scripture. Mark will teach it in two weeks. But Peter's vision is only partial, isn't it? From this point on, he, he doesn't understand. Peter does not understand what Jesus' mission is. He understands, he says he's the Christ. And, and Jesus' response to Peter indicates that he gets his identity right. Look what he says in verse 70. He strictly charged them to tell no one about him. He doesn't say, you're wrong. But he says, don't go about saying I'm the Christ. Because I don't want lots of people coming thinking I'm going to be restoring Israel's kingship. He doesn't need more crowds. And then he begins to teach him about what the Messiah has come to do. He's not going to wield a sword. He's going to take up a towel and wash the disciples' feet. He's not going to conquer Israel's enemies as a military king. He's going to give his life as a ransom. But at this point in the story, Jesus is on a journey with his disciples to Jerusalem and he's going to te- continue to teach them along the way about who he is and why he came and what he's come to do by dying on a cross. And this should startle us when we read this as if we're reading the story as someone who doesn't know the ending. Jesus says, "I've come to die." We should say, "You came to die?" You can't be a great teacher if you come to die. See? You have to understand why he came to really understand who he is. And that's why the question, who do you say that I am, is so important. It goes back to what Jesus said in in Mark chapter 1. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. So we get to this dramatic point. And if you're here this morning and you are asking that question or answering that, seeking to answer that question, who do you say that I am? We have people in a variety of places. So what do we do with this text this morning? How do we apply it to our lives? What does God want us to do in response to what's happening here on these pages? Well, Perhaps you're one who's here who's not sure who Jesus is. You might be listening to this question, and if somebody said, who do you say Jesus is? you say, I'm not sure. (laughs) If that's you, I want to just thank you for being here. I thank you for exploring who Jesus is and coming out and gathering with us. I'm sure you have many questions. And as you can see from our text this morning... Questions are a normal part of a journey of discipleship, isn't it? Jesus has asked a lot of questions. He's asking questions. and Jesus is patient with all his disciples along the journey. Hopefully, what you see in the story in the healing of the blind man and Peter's confession is an encouragement for you to continue on your journey. We learn a little at a time. But let me ask you this question: What have you learned about Jesus up till now? What do you think of his character and his works? How do you respond to his words and his compassion? What more do you need to see to begin to respond to his invitation? Quite simply, who do you say that he is? You know, this past week, we did our final session of the last session of Christianity Explored. And there was a person there who was from a Muslim background. And I asked her permission to share this story it's because she, she told me she was going to be here this morning. I haven't seen her, but she went to six of the seven sessions and we were coming to the end of the final meeting and she looked at me and she said, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this? She, she, we, we The week before was on grace where we talk about how God wants us to accept what Jesus has done like a little child. Just receive it. You don't have to work to do anything. Just receive what Christ has done on your behalf. The last week basically is an expression of you have to give up everything and make Jesus king if you want to follow him. And she was getting it. She understood what was being asked. And she says, what am I supposed to do with this? I still have questions. And when I heard her say that, I... I, I felt a warmth in my heart and just compassion and love for this person because I just said, thank you for asking that question. You're thinking sincerely about what we're talking about, and I can tell that you're earnest. Look at the text. We went to this text. I said, you see how faith is a process? You're in process you've been to six sessions, but you never read the Bible before you came to this class. It's very, very hard for a person to give their entire life to someone after six sessions of reading the Bible. It makes sense, doesn't it? What Jesus is asking of us when we follow him is to give up everything to follow him. We are to say, there's nothing I'm going to have above you in my life. Nothing. It's difficult to do that after six sessions. I said, but... Continue to come out. Come out to church on Sundays. If you want to, come back next April 12th. We're starting Christianity Exploring. Come back and do it again. You're welcome to join us again. We had someone in the class who had taken it the last time and wanted to do it again. But you see, it's a process sometimes. And if you're there, if you are here this morning and you're still in process, please consider all you've heard and learned about Jesus. You know, in Matthew's recording of this event in Caesarea Philippi, he records something of Jesus' words that Mark does not. It says this, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Why is that so important? We need God's help to believe. And if you're here this morning, I want to share a prayer with you in the next chapter of Mark. We're going to get to it. But there's a story, you probably all remember it, of a man who has a problem with his child... They take, he takes them to the disciples. They can't heal him. And Jesus comes and he says, you just need to believe. Your problem is you don't believe. And he said, he said this prayer that I love. I love this prayer in the Bible. I prayed it many times in my life. It's in the Bible. Could you put it on the, on the screen? This is the prayer. It's from Mark 9, 24. It's, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. So if you're here this morning, I want to invite you, come to Jesus and take what you know and say, I believe. If you can, help my unbelief. Draw near to Jesus. He's drawing you near to you. Jesus says this, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For in this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. Truly, this is the greatest news ever to come to, to, to the earth. It's radical good news that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the son of the living God. So, friends, thank you for listening to me on that night. If you have any questions you'd like to talk about that further, come and talk to me. But what about us who've already confessed that Jesus is our Messiah? What are we to do with this? How are we to respond to, to Peter's confession? We know the end of the story. How shall we respond to God's word this morning? Well, brothers and sisters, in order to live lives well for Jesus, we must hold, hold firmly to our confession of hope. The author of Hebrews says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to hold fast to our confession. You know, it's, what does it mean to hold fast? It means that when we declare that Jesus is our Savior, we are saying that on that cross and in his resurrection, he did that for me. He did that for my sins and I receive it like the Apostle Paul he loved me and gave himself for me and when we make that personal and say he died for our sins we say he's our Christ he's my Messiah he's my King and now I am going to relate to him he's given me his Holy Spirit I have a relationship with him now I can bring the issues in my life to him on a daily basis I can talk to him. I can cast my cares on him. He can bear these burdens with me. And I can know his presence. Even when I'm in the midst of suffering. That's when we really need him, isn't it? When things are perplexing. Because of this amazing grace we're received into his family. And he's invited us to live our lives in a new way. With a new power. This is what it means to hold fast to our confession. It's not enough to say... I confessed Jesus Christ as Lord five years ago or 10 years ago or 44 years ago as it will be for me in April. (laughs) It's a long time. But it's not enough. We've got to renew that confession daily. Is he your Messiah today? Who do you say he is today in your life, brothers and sisters? As you go out into the world and you rise up this morning, uh, this week. Maybe you're a single adult. You're going into the work world, and you're facing just a world that says you're crazy. How are you living a life of sexual purity? You're lonely. You have a longing for relationships. Who do you say that he is? Who is he to you when you enter into your work week this week? Maybe you're you're a young family and you have young kids. Like my four-year-old grandson. And life is sleepless and hectic. And it's hard to sometimes keep your head about you. Who do you say he is this week? Maybe, maybe you're getting older. You're headed towards the finish line. You're thinking about retiring. And your passion for Christ is not where it was. You know, you find yourself drifting off and not even wanting to go to meetings, community group anymore, or or, or just even to read the word. I urge you to think about, who do you say he is? And come to him. Maybe you're a college student. And the things that you're facing on campus is so different than the things that so many of us faced on campus. I mean, in the classroom, everywhere, to say you're a Christian, you're just entering a hostile world. It's tough. Who do you say that he is as you go into that world this week? Who do you say that I am? What are you believing about him today? What do you, who do you say that he is? Brothers and sisters, we must hold fast to our confession because we want to make it to the end. It's not enough just to confess him today. We want to confess him all the way through. So let's live lives of faithfulness and lives of fruitfulness. Now, I just have one more group or one more thing I want us to consider um, as we close this morning. One more implication of this text. For those of us who would answer the question, who do you say that I am with a wholehearted, Jesus is the Christ. You're here this morning, you say, Jesus is the Christ. What's? Let me ask you a question. Think about your confession of Christ. How did you come to make that confession? How did you come to a place where you believed and you prayed a prayer and received Christ as your king? It was probably through the patient prayers and witness of God's people. It's normally how it happens. God's church. For most of us, it was a process like the blind man, right? Maybe you see, and you're learning, and you're, someone's telling you about Jesus, but you don't really quite get why you need a Savior, why someone dying on a cross, a bloody sacrifice, is going to make you right with God, and someone shares something about the holiness of God, and maybe the light bulb goes on. Well, I'd like to just ask you to consider the people in our lives, from our neighbors to the people at the ends of the earth who do not make the confession that Jesus is the Christ this morning. I want to just ask you to think about all the people in your life who don't make that confession. They can't answer the question, who do you say I am, that Jesus is the Christ. There are people who have never read the Bible, never even heard the name of Jesus. There are some people who maybe have heard the name of Jesus but never heard the gospel, right? There are people who maybe have some hearing, understanding of the gospel, but maybe just a misrepresentation of it. You have people like my neighbor in Maryland who, when we started to talk with her and her husband, she had never heard of Adam and Eve. She had never read the Bible. Grown up in the United States and never read the Bible, never heard anything about it. There are people we live in an increasingly biblically illiterate age. There are people who are brought up in the church, who've been hurt by the church, and they don't, they've left the church. There are people brought up in the church who've left the church because they've chosen the things of the world. All these people, and I'm just touching on points in the line, they're people in your lives. How are they going to hear about Jesus? Well, think about what Jesus did. What did he do? He walked his life with people, he shared his life with people. He asked them questions and when they asked him questions what did he do in back he asked them more questions <laughs> because he was trying to get at what was what were they trusting in what did they love what were they setting above him in their lives because we all are trusting in something every person here whether you're a christian or not you're believing in something for your eternal destiny <laughs> maybe it's nothing and you just think you're going to die but you're believing that you're just going to die that's a faith What's going on in their hearts? Jesus asked questions so he would know, so that he could speak to them the hope that is within the gospel. And I believe, you know, one of the most common feelings, some of the most common feelings we feel when we think about sharing our faith, it's, it's fear, guilt, and confusion. I think that's partly because we think of sharing our faith as and, and like a presentation. Like, I've got to sit with you and present you certain facts. And then you know you got to remember the facts, and you don't get them confused. And and there's some truth to that. There's information that the gospel is. But rather than a presentation, I would submit to you, it's more like a conversation where we talk to people and share a little bit at a time, over time, as we share our lives with them, and we begin to tell them about why we love Jesus, why we go to church. Why, 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 what difference has he made in my life? Just as we talk about the things that we just mentioned, you're going to work and you're lonely and Jesus, you pray to him, he meets you and you tell someone about that. And they say, wow, Jesus makes that kind of difference in your life. You know, I'd like to recommend a resource to you. It's this book called Questioning Evangelism. If there's one book I could have the whole church read, it would be this book. Its, it's subtitle is Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did. It's written by Randy Newman, who used to be a staff worker at George Mason University. He's retired now. Works for the C.S. Lewis Institute. He, he writes this. He's on campus at George Mason, and he says, somebody asked him a sincere question. He says, do you believe in hell? And I responded, uh, I, you know, he said, and this is what the guy said. Suppose I, you think all those sincere followers of other religions are going to hell. And so Randy says, do you believe in hell? He appeared as, the guy appeared as if he'd never seriously considered the possibility. After a long silence, he said, no, I don't believe in hell. I think it's ridiculous. And echoing his word choice, I said, well, why are you asking me such a ridiculous question? <laughs> I wasn't trying to be a wise guy. I simply wanted to honestly examine the assumptions behind his own question. His face indicated that I had a good point and that he was considering the issues of judgment, eternal damnation, and God's righteousness for the first time in his life. The silence was broken by another questioner who chimed in, well, I do believe in hell. And do you think that everyone who disagrees with you goes there? I asked, do you think anyone goes there? Is Hitler in hell? Hitler has turned out to be helpful, if unlikely, ally in these discussions. Of course, Hitler's in hell. Well, how do you think God decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Does he grade on a curve? You see what he's doing? He's just asking questions and unpacking. Later on, he says, responding to a question with a question paves the way for a concept that the questioner might not otherwise consider. When I asked my dormitory interrogators if they believed in hell, I paved the way for the concept of divine judgment. Many issues that are central to our gospel message, God's holiness, people's sinfulness, Christ's atoning work on the cross, and people's responsibility are alien today to many people. Questions bring these concepts into clearer focus and consideration and even acceptance. So I just encourage you, if you really are serious about wanting to be equipped to share your faith, this and even if you've read this word, I'd encourage you to take it out and read it again. Um, It's just a wonderful book. So brothers and sisters, let's share our faith journey walking alongside our family, our friends, and people we encounter along our life's journey. Let's ask questions. Let's answer questions. Let's continue the conversation along the way so that someday they might answer the question, who do you say that I am? With Jesus is the Christ. Let's Let's bring our family to Jesus in prayer as, as Edward talked about in his prayer this morning and beg him to open their eyes. Amen. Let's do that together. I just want to pray that for just a minute. Let me just pray that and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper. I just, want to, I just feel I need to pray that prayer. Lord, we pray right now. Lord, as we sit here, as we gather together in your name among your people, we pray, Lord, that you would Open the blind eyes of men and women who are here this morning. They're here to learn, seeking. Lord, open their eyes to see that you are the Christ. Lord, for those in our family, those in our neighborhood, those in our workplaces, for those in nations around the world that are unreached, Lord, we pray you would bring the light of the gospel to these places. In the name of Jesus, open blinded eyes. Even as you opened Peter's and opened ours, open millions more. We ask for the glory and the name of Jesus Christ to be exalted around the earth forever and ever. Amen.